Valentine Schmelentine. You know, it's typical of capitalist culture that they take something as beautiful and pure as romantic love and find a way to sell some trinkets and make some money out of it. And, you know, it's something, it's a concept that was actually hijacked because in the old days, and I'm talking about hundreds, if not thousands of, of years ago, whenever springtime came, when we looked at the beautiful emergence of life, we looked at new life, especially in the northern countries where there was uh, ground cover of snow and then suddenly everything started getting green again. And you see these creatures, these birds and uh, the, the creatures on the ground starting to find mates and mating. You found that within human beings, there was that natural inclination. If you didn't have a mate, you would be, you would be inclined to go and find a mate. And that's why, you know, when, when you look at poetry back in the days, you look at Shakespeare, when they talk about the springtime, the pretty ring time, you know, it's all about, it's all about new life. It's all about love. It's all about uh, finding that, that perfect partner in your life. But then uh, somebody decided to associate that with a certain Saint Valentine. And then somebody decided to make it into a commercial enterprise. And that's where it went off the rails. But it's so unfortunate because when, when we're talking about romantic love, I took my cue personally from Charles Dickens. I'm a big Charles Dickens fan. I've read most of his books. He said, you don't know true love until you've been married 25 years, a quarter of a century. That's only when you start getting an inkling of what true love is all about. But today, it's not like that anymore. It's all about you know, it's all about instant gratification. It's all about fun and excitement and fairy tales and knights in shining armor. That doesn't work anymore. You know, it's thanks to thanks to the, the, the movie culture, thanks to the pop culture. Kids have this funny, very funny idea of what relationships are supposed to be like. And when things don't work out, then they throw in the towel and they walk. They, they, they just can't make it. They, they don't know what resilience is. They don't know what that 25 year mark even, even feels like, let alone 25 months. I know marriages that ended in less than 25 months, less, uh, leave alone 25 years. But when you do find that love, now listen to me, coming from an old timer, right? When you do find that love, when you find that person that you love and that person who really loves you, that person who, is your your strength your support your best friend your buddy your you, you, you name it it's it's you know there's no feeling like it there's no there's nothing that will put you on the right course in life than having a person like that go and look it up go and look it up when it comes to emotional health mental health personal development personal growth personal achievement Having the right person by your side makes all the difference. But that doesn't come easily. It doesn't come with, with sparks and with, with, with uh, I don't know, shooting stars. And I don't know what people expect these days. People expect that, you know, it's always going to be like, like a, like a rom-com. Life is always going to be a rom-com. It's not going to be like that. So this whole concept of, of Valentine's has just been prostituted really it's just so ugly it's so hideous and the whole concept of relationships 
it's just been ruined yet these are such beautiful things now just to get one thing out of the out of the way i am a muslim and i subscribe to the islamic view on relationships now that differs considerably from the west i'm not here to judge which is which and which is right and who's better and that but just to clarify in in my culture dating is all about a build up towards marriage dating is always a formal affair and it's always an affair that is that is uh, guided by certain uh, religious as well as cultural principles and the whole objective is that if the guy uh, is really attracted to the girl then he needs to prove it by taking responsibility for her and marrying her there's no such thing as free sex in islam that's what i'm trying to say so and when you when you marry then you are making a commitment and then islam continues beyond marriage with guidelines as to how to maintain a happy marriage so go and look, look into that if you are if you are so inclined but i just wanted to put that out of the way so that is the islamic version in the western version well we all know it's what goes on in the movies it's more a casual thing it's more about exploration sometimes it's just about fun dating you know it it's it's part of everyday culture um, premarital sex is part of everyday culture in islam these things are not not uh, not allowed but nonetheless the the quest is the same ultimately that is to find that one person to find that one person that we can relate to that one person that we can give our hearts to that will give their hearts to us that one person that is completely compatible it it that that is the ultimate quest now in the old days it happened through referrals and i'm talking about old days i'm talking about pre technology uh, days the, the the pre technology era you would meet a person who is within your physical uh, geographic location typically right so you would live you would be living in a village and um, you know when you were married marriageable age then you would go to some friends and say or some seniors in the family maybe your mom maybe your aunts or somebody you trusted and say hey um, uh, are there any good girls that i can relate to or that i could you know hook up with so that was just one of the ways right but what i'm saying is whichever way you did it it was usually people who you physically usually people who you physically met because i'm thinking about you know letter writing and things like that you could have been introduced to somebody via letter writing but i imagine that was rare because you 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 writing to a person and there were no photographs in those days so you wouldn't know what the person looks like whether they would be appealing physically but that's a different thing altogether so nonetheless you would you would you would in the vast majority of cases it would happen via physical meetings but with the advent of technology now two things happened the one thing is that we became more digitally sociable and less physically sociable still sociable humans are like that we are social creatures but it's just that our social lives move from the physical world into the digital world and so the opportunities to meet your perfect match to meet your mate uh, it 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 expanded into the digital world into the virtual world and then we saw that you know around about the 
early 2000s, there was this whole slew of dating apps that came about. People saw the potential for this and dating apps came about, apps like Tinder started to come about. And today that industry is worth 3 billion US dollars. There are millions, tens of millions of people who are on dating sites, who, um, who utilize dating sites and social media to find that, that perfect mate. Now, this is beautiful. There's nothing wrong with that essentially, but we have to, we have to be careful, especially in the digital world, for the simple reason that when you, when you met a person who was in your town or village or geographic location, it would be easy to get a reference on that person. So for example, you like the guy in the other street or you like the girl in the other street, you, there, were, there, were, there was a strong chance that you knew their family or your family knew someone who knew their family. And it was then easy to get a, get a reference about that person, the type of person that, the per, that, that you know, uh, the, your, your person of interest is in the digital world, not easy at all, extremely difficult, if not in some cases impossible to find that, to find out any more about the person than what they present to you. And that's why we have some horror stories, some absolute horror stories, everything from uh, as mundane as somebody becoming catfished, where, you know, when they pitch up, the person is not the right, not the age that they claim, doesn't even look like they claimed, uh, is totally physically not the person that they claimed, or in much, much darker consequences, where there were cases of physical abuse and even murder. Now, we want to avoid all that. We truly, truly want to avoid all that for the obvious reason that nobody wants to find themselves in a situation where they've been dating a serial killer and then they meet up with that person. But more so, we don't want to create fear. We don't want to give online dating a bad rep. We don't want to give online dating a, 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 a whole negative spin. So how do we do it? We do it in a positive way. Now, a few years ago, my son came up to me, my youngest son. He was young, must have been 19 or 18. He was 18 at that time. No younger, he was 17. And he said, Mom, Dad, I found a girl online on Instagram and I'm dating her. Virtual dating, digital dating, online dating. They hadn't met. They, they were chatting for a few months, but they hadn't physically met. And they, through chatting, they found interest in each other. There were some pictures on Instagram that they saw of each other, but that was that. I freaked out. <laughs> I totally freaked out. Because this kid was young, 17, and she was like 16. They were just too young, first and foremost. Secondly, as much as I've been in technology my whole life, this was the first time for me where we were speaking about online dating with technology. It got very personal here. Before that, technology was my livelihood. I was a coder. I was doing a lot of things with technology. But now this was affecting my kid. And it was scary. So my instant first reaction was, son, I don't approve. None of this. You will find a girl in the traditional way, which is, you know what, in the South African Indian community, they call the samusaran, 
where you go, you know, you refer to someone um, and then your family arranges a, a, a date when the two families meet up and while the two families are talking, the couple goes one side and, you know, they do this, this stuff, they start talking and get to know each other. And uh, usually there's samosas handed out. <laughs> so I'm not a fan of samosas, but that's what they call it. So I said to my son, you know what? I don't know this girl. I don't know these people. I don't even know who they are. Could be a catfish. Could be some weirdos, which is true. It could be. And I disapproved. Absolute, absolute. I saw the disappointment on my son's face, but I saw something else. I saw resistance. You know, when you, when you read Romeo and Juliet, Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, a psychoanalysis of Romeo and Juliet, who were, I think, about 15 and 13 in the book, there was nothing particularly special about their love. What drove them to that ultimate outcome was their family's resistance to their romance, right? The Capulets and Montagues hated each other. And so there was this natural resistance to this relationship. And because of that re resistance, this couple got even closer together. So what was mundane and normal, probably puppy love, turned out into a mission in their minds that now my family is resisting this, so I have to counter-resist. That's uh, the nature of human being, right? I remember saying that a person is more inclined to what they are forbidden from doing. Try it with a, with a two-year-old, a terrible two. Put two toys, one in front of them and one in the cabinet. They'll want the one in the cabinet, not the one in front of them. It's been proven. There have been lots of studies done about that. But anyways, I digress. So I saw potential reactants in my son. So I had a discussion with my wife. I said, you know what? We could either totally oppose this, in which case my son will still continue, but without our guidance, without our support, and probably end up doing some stupid things. Or we could embrace this. And we could step into his life, step into his world with his permission and offer him our unconditional love, guidance and support. And that's what we did. So we said, son, look, there are two levels of consideration here. One is your personal well-being and your personal, emotional, mental and probably, possibly even physical health, both for you as well as your girlfriend. But there's the other side to it, which is our values as Muslims. See, your personal values, whatever your religion, whatever your culture, your creed, hold on to those values. Because it's what defines us, right? So I said, well, you've got to look after these two things here, and we're going to help you with this. So we arranged a uh, physical meetup. They were still too young to get married. So we arranged a physical meetup with the two families. And we made it very clear that these kids will be allowed to virtually date, but full disclosure at all times, right? No nonsensical behavior, no sexting, no uh, you know, lewd talks, none of that. And if we wanted to 
look at their chats at any time, we would, and they would need to trust us. And they would need to earn our trust. And the outcome, it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. Two years later, still too young, <laughs> they got married. And it's been, what, almost three years now, and they are still happily married. And she is, my daughter-in-law is an absolute, absolute delight. She's the most, one of the most wonderful, creative, intelligent people I've ever met. Yet at one stage, she was this bogeyman in my mind, behind a screen, probably even, I don't know, I don't know what I thought. It could have been uh, uh, a woman three times my son's age catfishing him. I didn't know. I didn't know. And I wouldn't have known had we not taken that step. So th these are very different times that we are living in. And this is my appeal to parents. These are different times we are living in. And in order to keep our kids safe, we have to become a part of their lives, but not a helicopter in their lives, not, you know, be on their cases all the time and, you know, watching them like, like the CIA or something. No, just be a part of it. One wise man gave me some advice when my son was just born. I said, I said to him, give me some advice as to how to be a good father. And he said to me this in Urdu. Now, I'm not particularly fluent in Urdu, but he said, so those of you who are native to, to India and Pakistan, forgive my, my accent, right? Bit of a British, uh, South African British accent to my Urdu there. What it means basically is befriend your children. Make your children your friends. Never understood that. But as time went on, I realized what he was, what he meant. That be a part of their lives, be a, a, an integral part of their growth, both physically, mentally, emotionally, you name it, be a part of it. And when they do get into relationships, be there for them, but don't dictate to them what to do. Guide them along and hope for the best that with everything, with all the challenges they face, it is your friendship with them that will keep them safe, that will keep them out of trouble. And that's the best thing any parent can do for their children. Now, if you want to know more about this topic, um, we, we also, together with this podcast, we, we launch a blog article on the IT Varsity website about the same topic. So if you want more details about how to keep kids safe online, how to encourage them to be tech savvy, but at the same time, not to be irresponsible. How to handle things like consent, how to handle things like online bullying, peer pressure, how to see, how to view things like sexting. Well, we've got guidelines on the IT Varsity website. Go and check it out there. There's a lot more detail, more detail than I'm able to uh, speak in this uh, podcast, but I don't want this to become a one and a half hour episode. I want to keep it to maximum 30 minutes so that you can derive maximum benefit from it and you can, you can carry on with your life. More than 30 minutes, I don't believe in. 
So nonetheless, coming back full circle to online dating. Online dating has gone a lot, lot more advanced than it ever was, right? Uh, and there's nothing wrong with it. Um, in fact, with artificial intelligence in the picture now, um, the AI collects as much information about you and uses that information to draw up a personality profile. And then it uses probabilistic um, algorithms to match you with a person who would be the best match for you, who will be the best complement to your personality. Now, sometimes it's not all clear to us, right? Some people say, well, opposites attract. Others say, like-minded people attract. Some people say, well, you know, you need a more energetic person. Others say you need a more subdued person. Well, AI has largely figured that out. And the success rate of the AI is astounding. So it's a good way. It's really a good way to not just meet people, but to assess and to get to know who you are before you go out looking for that person, for that right person. Because I believe that self-awareness is the most important thing before you choose a career, before you choose a life's partner. And so when you, when you lack that self-assessment, you can always rely on the AI to help you out with that, to help you to get to know yourself better. And so when the AI recommends someone, or even if in the real world, a human recommends someone, you know what you are looking for because you know who you are. With those few words, I will conclude. And once again, go and visit the IT Varsity blog. You'll find more details there about the pros and cons of online dating and how to keep ourselves safe. Thanks a lot.